Hey there, everyone. I'm Ryan LeBoy, and this is Keep Calm and Choir On, a podcast about the power of singing together. Welcome back to our second of three special release episodes this fall, created in collaboration with my wonderful concert choir students at North Hennepin Community College. As mentioned in the previous episode, given the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic and the recent racial uprising around the nation, I thought we were uniquely poised this semester to do a deep dive into the contributions of African Americans to the arts by centering our studies around the statement, Black Music Matters. For our second unit of study, we turn to something homegrown here in the Twin Cities, the Justice Choir Songbook. The Justice Choir Songbook was created in 2017 and edited by three Minnesota musicians, Abby Bettinas, Tesfa Wandemagniu, and Ahmed Ansaldua. Inspired in part by the 2016 presidential election and the corresponding Women's March, it is a collection of 43 songs designed for performance, protest, and meaningful conversation. The goal of the songbook is relatively simple, to reintroduce singing as a demonstration of civil unrest and to get people singing together again. Rather than revive songs exclusively from the past, like those made famous during the civil rights era, the editors had the brilliant idea to democratize their process and put out an open call for scores and songs online. The response? They received more than 150 songs old and new that people felt reflected the socio-political environment of today. Once the Justice Choir songbook was released, it additionally sparked a larger Justice Choir movement, and we began to see local chapters of the Justice Choir pop up all around the country in places like Detroit, Indianapolis, Memphis, San Diego, Washington, D.C., and more. According to justicechoir.org, There are 18 active chapters around the country, including two college chapters at Ithaca College in New York State and St. Olaf College in Northfield, Minnesota, and an open invitation to start more. For our purposes in Concert Choir, we narrowed our study down to four different songs, the first of which was John Rosman Johnson and James Weldon Johnson's Lift Every Voice and Sing. Proclaimed by the NAACP in 1920 to be the Negro National Anthem, I was amazed to learn how many of my students did not know this song. But then, I shouldn't have been too surprised, since I didn't learn of it until spring semester of my senior year in music school. Questions abound as to why Lift Every Voice and Sing is not more widely known. Some say it's because it's difficult to sing, but the same could be said of the U.S. National Anthem, and yet that song is performed everywhere from small-town civic events to the Super Bowl. While I find it to be curious to consider that two songs meant to espouse national pride are challenging for everyday Americans to sing, I cannot say I support the claim that singability is the reason Lift Every Voice and Sing isn't more widely known. The reason, in my own opinion? Racism. I understand that's a bold statement, but musically, let's consider the definition of the word anthem. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, an anthem is a song that has special importance for a particular group of people, an organization, or a country. I would like to further add that anthems are composed to express a sense of pride on the part of the singer, and taking pride in something imbues it with power. Therefore, to more widely acknowledge an African-American anthem would mean to acknowledge that Black folks have power, or rather, an equal claim to power, an idea that, as we've seen highlighted in newsrooms all around the country even this year, 
not all Americans are ready to admit. Regardless of one's stance on race and racism, there is a powerful and uniquely American perspective shared in the lyrics penned by African-American great James Weldon Johnson, and they make great fodder for thought. In our class, students were asked to analyze all three verses of the song and reflect on lyrics which they found to be poignant or powerful. Their individual selections were wide-ranging, from the dawning optimism of lyrics like, Facing the rising sun of a new day begun, let us march on till victory is won, to the heart-wrenching reality of dreams deferred as expressed in the lyrics, Bitter the chastening rod felt in the days when hope unborn had died. Several singers also astutely commented on the importance of learning from history, highlighted in the lyrics, Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Together, we also listened to two different versions of Lift Every Voice and Sing, both of which were inducted into the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry in 2016. Additionally, each singer was asked to find a different recording of the anthem, which they felt augmented the power of the song's lyrics and the original melody. The music they chose was eclectic and amazing. So, for you, our listeners, I'd like to offer a musical tapestry of sorts that weaves together several incredible performances of Lift Every Voice and Sing. In order, you will hear samples throughout the last century, starting with Manhattan Harmony 4's 1923 recording, followed by Beyoncé, Melba Moore and Friends, Stanford University's Stanford Talisman, the male a cappella group Committed, and the Winston-Salem State University Choirs singing Roland Carter's 1978 arrangement.
have come over a way that with tears has been watered. We have come treading a path through the blood of the slaughter. Come from the gloomy One of the greatest joys of being a teacher is bearing witness to student growth, catching those moments where their interest is piqued and helping them to identify and pursue their passions. This semester, though at a distance, I've had the pleasure of many conversations with one of our new altos, Jessica Tim. As an honors student at North Hennepin, Jessica messaged me one day asking if she could use choir as part of her required honors coursework, which included completing some sort of special project we would design together. Delighted. I said yes. After getting to know her better, I came to notice that Jessica is that rarely balanced person with a mind for both creativity and the concrete. For as much musical talent and creativity as she possesses, it is matched by a calculating intellect that rapidly sorts information and connects seemingly disparate dots. Ultimately, we concluded that her efforts should focus on this unit of study, the Justice Choir Songbook. Over the next several minutes, Jessica will share with you an overview of the statistical research she conducted this fall as she sought to answer critical questions about the Justice Choir Songbook as both a body of art reflective of our time, but also as an instructive tool for social change. 
In the introduction to her audio essay, you will hear one of the songs from the Justice Choir songbook, Resilience, composed by Abby Bettinas and performed by singers from the University of North Florida, led by Dr. Kara Tasher. At the conclusion of Jessica's presentation, you will hear North Hennepin's own performance of another song from the Justice Choir songbook, Kevin Podworski's When We Are Singing, an arrangement of a Mexican hymn performed by students in concert choir this fall and accompanied by our very own guitar instructor, Dr. Christian Anderson. Let's listen in. Hi, I'm Jessica Tim. Right now, I'm taking both business and music classes at NHCC. This is because I really love math, but I also find joy in engaging with my musical side. I was really excited to look at the Justice Choir songbook since I got to combine my analytical side with my more creative, music-loving side. To give a little background, this semester I've been working on an honors project in choir. After going through a few ideas, I decided I'd be doing an analysis of the Justice Choir songbook. The Justice Choir Songbook is a list of songs designed to be learned by whole groups of people, hoping to use the power of singing together for change. I wanted to do an analysis of the different songs and composers present in the book, and work with the statistics to understand the messages beneath the music. I had two questions that I wanted to answer going into this project. Firstly, I wanted to see if the composers that came together to write the songbook were diverse. Are the composers representing the equality that they're working towards? And secondly, I wanted to understand why exactly these songs were chosen. When they had so many different song submissions, why choose these 43? I'll start by addressing my question about diversity in the composers of the songbook. I thought this question would be the easier of the two for me to answer, but it brought up a few tricky problems for me. I knew I wanted to examine both gender and racial diversity when I started this project. However, with my resources, I was limited to what I was able to find with the Google search of these composers' names. I want to be conscious of the fact that I often can't tell someone's gender identity or racial identity by just looking at a picture of them or by reading their name. I'm going to represent the composers who helped with the creation of the songbook as best I can, but keep in mind that these statistics were created based off of what was available to me online. I was happy to find that gender representation in the book didn't seem to be strongly skewed in any direction. Because I don't know the gender identity of all the authors, I don't know if there were any non-binary composers that were present in the making of the songbook, but there seemed to be a very even balance between women and men. When looking at racial statistics, my analysis got a little fuzzier. I was able to find websites for 33 of the composers involved in the making of the songbook. And of those 33, I found eight people who were unmistakably people of color, four males and four females. With this information, I'm left with the question, is it enough? Do I feel that the songbook has enough racial diversity? Unfortunately, there's no specific mathematic ratio to tell me if the numbers truly represent diversity, as much as I wish there were. After all, diversity is about representing different perspectives and cultures, not just percentages of a pie chart. What I can say is that I feel the Justice Choir Songbook is justified in singing for social justice, especially given the likelihood that at least one of the people I guess to be white was actually a person of color. I would consider the Justice Choir Songbook a valuable resource, and I don't feel that they're being artificial or hypocritical by having a majority of white composers. 
I will add it's important to see people of color included outside of the song specifically geared towards the racial movement. For example, We Shall Overcome is a song that's clearly linked to the black movement, and it was arranged by a black artist, Tesfo Wadamagniu. However, we also need to be seeing people of color outside of the battles for racial equality. Liberty and Justice for All, written by a black composer named Brandon Williams, is about including everyone in the promise of liberty, regardless of things like a person's class. When it came to being represented in songs that weren't specifically asking for racial equality, I would say that racial representation seemed to drop. This is one factor where I found myself slightly frustrated with the songbook. In music, it's good to make sure that you're looking for diverse music in whatever genre you're pursuing. For example, if you're a choir director programming a classical choral concert, remember to include composers beyond the traditional Western canon. Having diversity outside of where it's expected is an important step in seeing the equity that the Justice Choir Songbook talks about. One of my other objectives for this project was to figure out why all the songs in the songbook made the cut. When almost 150 different entries were submitted, how were they able to narrow down and only have this many songs? One thing I looked at was how easy the songs were to learn. Lots of these songs are meant to be sung at protests, and they're designed to be quickly learned. I found that the vast majority of these songs were homophonic pieces, meaning that they all follow the same general melody line and the same words at the same time. Any person who wanted to learn the song would be learning the same rhythm, and often the same notes. 17 of the 43 songs are either solo or unison pieces, making them easier to teach in large groups. The songbook also includes a lot of call-and-response songs, and these are nice for larger groups since the crowd is able to repeat after a leader, which means that they could potentially need even less teaching. I definitely think that the editors of the Justice Choir songbook wanted these songs to be easy to learn. These aren't elite songs by any means, and many of them are at a level that beginners would be able to join in without struggling. Having simpler songs means it's easier to sing together, and I think that it enforces the idea that you don't have to be a virtuoso to be a part of the Justice Choir movement. Another factor for choosing the songs is their lyrics. Since the melody lines are often simple, we're able to focus more on the lyrics. Often, when you're listening to music in a choral setting, there will be multiple lines of music at once, so you lose a lot of the lyrics. The whole point of these songs is to be heard for exactly what you're saying, and maybe spark some of those conversations that help you grow as individuals. Abby Bettinas, one of the co-editors and organizers for the songbook, had a cool quote when she was describing her vision for the songbook. She writes, In these 43 songs, we see a place to come together and start a conversation, to shout and sing about some of the issues on people's minds today. For me, this is the crux of music's power, where emotion meets action. Let there be no passive listeners. These songs were created for the engagement of all. What I've learned from this project is that the Justice Choir movement is all about listening to the lyrics of the songs and what kinds of conversations those can spark. These songs were chosen because their lyrics inspire deeper conversations that we need to have as musicians. Knowing the melody and rhythm isn't enough. We need to strive for that greater understanding of what we're singing about and why it's important. The word we is something that appears a lot in the songbook. 11 of the songs have the word we in the title, and it has over a 100 appearances in the lyrics of the songbook. 
As I was doing my research, the sentiment behind the idea of we, the idea of us, really stuck with me. I had both my question about racial diversity and my question about why the editors chose the songs that they did. And I think both of these brought me into learning even more about the concept of community and the concept of equity that the Justice Choir movement talks about. The music in the Justice Choir songbook is designed to be shared, so we can all focus on making ourselves better. Even with lots of other changes happening in the world lately, music always has been and always will be a way to be together. It's about connection and about coming together and growing together as singers and as people. When we are singing, we are bound together. When we are sharing, we are free to be. Both in our singing and in our After hearing from Jessica, you'd like to watch her full honors presentation as recorded in class? Visit nhccfinearts.wordpress.com slash music and check it out. As Jessica mentioned in her audio essay, one of the primary purposes of the Justice Choir Songbook is to inspire thoughtful and honest conversation between people. Accordingly, as we studied various songs together in class, we always had time for students to offer their opinions and insights on a given lyric or concept. In the following segment, you will hear pairs of students share their perspectives on the lyrics from two different songs, When We Are Singing, which you just heard, and Melanie Damore's One Foot Lead With Love, which you will hear next. When we are singing, we are bound together. What do these lyrics mean to you, and do you believe it? Well, when I read the, those lyrics, I kind of think of, like, when you're singing, people are, are united and towards, like, a specific purpose, determining on, like, what the song is, what what the message of a song is, or whatever. Yeah. 
And in terms of those lyrics, I feel like everyone may have different emotions towards something because everyone has different experiences. But I feel like through those like lyrics and how you interpret them, that people are, like unite and create like one beautiful message out of the piece. Yeah, like uh, unity of message based on what the choir is singing. Yep. Yeah, I I have a little bit more of a quite literal example. Uh, so with because I'm in concert band as well. We have been working to try and have a semi-in-person meetup. Uh, and what we've been doing is we've been having half the band in one room and then the other half in another room and using the power of technology to have us be in sync with one another. And finally, just this week for rehearsal, we managed to get it where we would start the piece and end the piece in sync with one another from two separate rooms. And that was like almost ethereal in a way. And I don't know, it just kind of like it, it made me feel a little philosophical in the moment that we are like separate, but together in a way, I guess. And even with like, uh, even with like recorded choir, I don't necessarily think that that's all that like different because we're still coming together. We're still here every week, uh, you know, rehearsing with one another, talking about all these different pieces that we're working on. And we may not like be able to, like have these dedicated one-on-ones in like a practice room, for example, right now. But I still feel like there's some connection. Yeah. And I guess you could interpret it through recordings. And I've done recordings in the past for like, cause I was mm-hmm. in band before even doing yeah. choir. And when you do like pieces by yourself, you can kind of like envision like, Oh, this, what this other piece may sound like of whatever instrument and whoever's singing. And mm-hmm. For a lot of for a lot of the pieces, a lot of it just goes together, even though you're obviously alone. Yeah, and I I still think that a lot of it can still come together because like there's still people behind that. There's people who support you along the way. There's the people who taught you how to do the things you need to do. I still no, don't necessarily think that's isolated, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. When we are sharing, we are free to be. What do these lyrics mean to you and do you believe it? When I think of it in terms of singing, it actually makes a lot of sense to me because I think when groups of people are singing together, they're, sh- they're all contributing their voice to one mm-hmm. group. And so it takes that pressure off of you of trying to sing alone and sound perfect. And so it's like a freeing feeling to have uh, the support of other singers around you. And so I do agree with this statement. What do you think? Yeah, definitely with like the pandemic right now, I mm. I miss being together because like you said, you just um, you just kind of end up like forgetting like what's going on and just kind of just are in the moment of singing with other people around you. And it just kind of feels really um, like you feel really connected and mm-hmm. secure or like comfortable. Yeah. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. Uh, I know we've talked about it in choir with like sharing our own music. And when I think of like sharing, I I almost think of sharing music more like versus sharing toys or something. Mm-hmm. I think of like sharing different types of music and like with different cultures and and just different genres and, and things. But then when it when it talks about um, we are free to be with the sharing I feel like we're free to share our own music and share different types of music together. And mm-hmm. there's no judgment at all. It's just kind of 
letting people do their thing. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I didn't think about that. Uh, yeah, with other cultures and stuff. I Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because when we, you know, when we don't know about other cultures, I think it's in sociology, it's like ethnocentrism or something mm-hmm. where you like judge other people because you don't know about uh, their culture or where they come from. So you always yeah. feel better. And it makes a lot of sense that when we're sharing, it's more, it's more of a freeing feeling and we're open-minded to other ideas. So, yeah, it's almost like judging a book by its cover before you actually read it. Yeah, exactly. And by sharing, we, well, we, we learn more about others, but also more about who we are. Do you believe singing together can bring change and make peace, as the song suggests? Why or why not? As far as protests go, music is definitely a great outlet for that. Um, And I think that there is a lot of uh, possibility. What do you think? Yeah, I I agree with what you said. I think it kind of depends on the group and the context. Like singing together is very powerful, but it also, like you have to think about the intention behind it. And if everybody is already of the same mindset, then how much like change are you really bringing but also if you're trying to you know go to a protest and sing to make change those people that you're singing to have to be willing to hear it and willing to change their mindset so i think it's kind of like yes but it has to be the right conditions i agree completely i think that there is only so much you can do within your group of people and you have to try and sing outside of your comfort zone I definitely think it's possible to inspire people with music who would otherwise maybe not see the message the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like what you said about going outside your comfort zone, and that maybe applies to both the performers and the audience. Like, you have to be, the performer has to be willing to go outside the comfort zone, but also the audience has to be willing to kind of expand their mind and go outside their own comfort zone in that way, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, I uh, I would love to be a, an activist and write that one song, you know, that changes the world. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely uh, no one composer can change anything. It is such a team effort. Um, it requires a lot of people. So I definitely think that singing together in of itself does not necessarily make change, but it is having that that sense of community, that togetherness, that unity that really does make the difference. And conveying that in a song is important. Um, So the question is, what is love and how do we lead with it? So when I was thinking about this question, I had the thought that, you know, there are many different types of love. And, you know, the definition of love can kind of vary based on the situation and the context. And I think maybe leading with love in this context is more of like a general type of love that's maybe like acceptance and like holding space for someone that despite your differences i feel like love in the sense um in the context of the song and leading with love is um the feeling of you know uh passion into something um whether it's negative feelings of passion or positive feelings of passion just evoking all of those feelings and all of those passions and leading with them in a forward moving um direction 
Yeah, I think I like your definition of love, Brian, because I think like previously when we talk about this in the class and um, a classmate mentioned that um, like the opposite of love is not hatred, but uh, indifference. So in a way, love and hatred is really like a twin, you know, like the two sides of coin. So you can really love something and because you love something so much that you start to hate something else. So to lead with love is it's kind of hard because if you are not careful, you can like, kind of like go past the line between love and hatred and then you know because you love something so much or like passionate passionate about something that you can start to have negative emotion about something else i really like that and i was thinking about the concept of passion and like hate is a very passionate emotion as well mm -hmm. so yeah like what you guys were kind of saying uh it tends to blur the line sometimes and maybe leading with love is kind of recognizing that passion and channeling it into something good. And then I, I feel like as you lead with love, um, you can show others and uh, teach others what you're passionate about and show them compassion into what you're leading with and what you're passionate about. And that in itself could help yeah. you and in leading and in leading with love. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that too. That's a good way to like spread passion, I guess. So that to make others passionate about the topic that you are passionate about. And a good way to channel those emotions as well into something mm -hmm. positive. But then I think that another thing to consider is that, like I said to or like, like Brian said to like, sometimes like when you focus like passionate about something, you start to have like a ton of vision so that you start to like have those negative emotions about like opposite like ideas too. So just be mindful that when you lead with love, you should be leading with like a, in a positive way and, and try to not bring in those negative emotion to that. Right. Like learning to recognize the difference. Yeah. Yep. Taking a step back and taking an overarching view on the entire thing so that you can see through every lens. What is love and how do we lead with it? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of a simple question, but the more you think about it, the more it's sort of not, I mean, I would define love as uh, care or affection for other people, r whether romantic or platonic, uh, these relationships that you can have between people. Mm -hmm. I guess how I, how I would explain it on my end would be something that I prioritize or something that I put almost above myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that be organically, as in with people or with something that I'm interested in. Yeah, and that brings up a good point that love doesn't have to be um, a person-to-person -person relationship, an organic relationship. Uh, often leading with love can be found in uh, concepts, can be found in abstracts. I mean, music is all about sort of that abstract thought where we can't fill in the words uh, for what we're thinking. I know uh, as we're talking about the song Lead With Love, uh, that's really something where uh, we can feel unified in our definition because we may not be able to find the words to express what it means to lead with love. But working together with this music, we can... Uh, connect on that emotional level, maybe if we don't have the words to do so. Very true. Very true. I like the uh, emotional aspect of uh, love, but an another thing is how, how do we lead with love? Because if we all have a different definition of love, 
how is it possible that we are able to lead with it in the same way? Perhaps we aren't. I mean, I think sort of what you're getting at is that uh, we don't all need to lead with love the same way to all be making a positive impact. You are very on the on the spot with that. Uh, we need to be able to handle things differently in different ways, be able to lead with our types of love in different ways than others would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, we need to be prepared to accept all these different types of love that maybe we don't see as our way of leading. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the relationship between often a conductor and a choir is a great example of uh, what I feel to be leading with love is this lead this leading a whole group uh, in, with a desire to share this experience and uh, all grow together. Yeah, I, I, I especially think it's a little more personable. It should be something with community, uh, which brings ties it back to the music part, which you were saying, because music is a lot about community and sharing together. And I think that's, that's how I would lead. Mm-hmm. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. I'd like to take a moment to thank each of my concert choir students. Avery. Ben. Brian. Daniel. Jessica. Jordan. Joe. Julius. Maddie. Shai. And my other students not named here, thank you for your hard work and the thoughtfulness you demonstrated in both this podcast recording as well as during this unit of study together in class. I'd also like to thank Jessica Tim for her fascinating presentation. 
my colleague Dr. Christian Anderson for his beautiful guitar accompaniment, and All in the Couch for their help with music production. Lastly, I'd like to thank Abby Patinas, Tesfa Wandamagniu, Ahmed Ansardua, and all the brilliant minds that helped make the Justice Choir songbook possible. If you're interested to learn more about the Justice Choir movement, songbook, or how you might get involved or support their work, please visit www.justicechoir.org to learn more. To hear more from the students of North Hennepin Community College and to listen to other episodes of Keep Calm and Choir On, you can visit nhccfinearts.wordpress.com music or choiron.buzzsprout.com. Additionally, you can like and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash choironpodcast, or search for Keep Calm and Choir On and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. 